0: Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic
1: Hello listeners, sorry to interrupt your show, but we've got a small favour to ask. We're currently doing a bit of a survey to find out more about you, your podcast listening habits and the sort of adverts that are most relevant to you. If you feel like helping, please head to surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. That's pretty catchy, so I'll say it one more time. Surveymonkey.com slash r slash athletic audio UK. Thank you.
2: Totally Football Show. Today, midweek action. In Europe, Giroud and Dele mean football the latest business to get big rise in continental overheads and in the league, where Uncle Roy pulls off the biggest palace robbery since Colonel Blood. We savour the midweek wonders, blunders and numbers, discuss Atleti sitting deeper than a man who's bought Big Sam's old sofa and look ahead to this weekend with Man City West Ham and Chelsea Man United and go on then score two years on from their remarkable meeting in the Championship Villa back at Leeds. All that plus Pelé, National League, Duncan's favourite stat and more in this Toby Football Show in association with Paddy Power.
3: Thursday
2: the 25th of February listener, thanks for joining us. For you today, we have some Jack Lang. Hey Jack. Hi James, you okay? I'm very well, thank you. Also Michael Cox is with us. Hello James. Of Zonalmarking.net fame and... Duncan Alexander is also on board furnisher of stats and frequently borrowed comedy football
3: lines. We're
0: talking about a team of players and they are good in picking players that fit into this philosophy, you know.
3: Yeah, I mean firstly I really want it to become known as Cancelo culture because I think that would be quite a good name for the for the development.
2: There you go, and it looks like you have got your wish because literally everybody's now calling Man City's current run Cancelo Culture, Duncan.
3: I should point out that this was debated on popular micro-blogging site Twitter this morning, and uh, a few City fans came up with it a year ago. Someone had it as their FPL team, I think, last season. So, oh. I mean, it is possibly more obvious than, than we first thought, but it's good, you know, I like it.
2: Right. I mean, it's not important who begins it. It's just nice that it's out there for everyone to enjoy. Yeah. Yeah. Excellent. Hey, it's been a busy midweek. Loads of uh, spectacular, well, some spectacular goals, some exciting kind of leftover bits of league action and uh, the Champions League, which I've got to say this week was mostly not very good. I don't know what your (laughs) thoughts on that (laughs) were. You had Lazio with their kind of clown car 11. Uh, Atleti, La Liga leaders playing like, Roy's Crystal Palace, Uh, Real Madrid barely making it past 10-man Atalanta. What did you think, Jack?
4: Yeah, I'm loath to make this admission because it doesn't paint me as a very serious journalist. But I I was so bored by Atalanta-Real Madrid last night that I went to bed um, before (laughs) it finished and just recorded the last 20 minutes and watched it this morning.
2: Oh, that must be Um, disappointing.
4: Yeah, I mean, I nearly fell asleep again this morning. It was was pretty tedious, wasn't it?
2: Well, yeah, and I mean the, the, I think the main point of interest was could Atlanta hold out? And of course, you, you'll know by now that five minutes from the end, uh, Volan Mendy, with a bit of a screamer actually, uh, finally gave Real the advantage. They've been playing against 10 men for, since about sort of 17 minutes in. Michael, you though, enjoyed At- Atletico Chelsea.
5: I thought it was okay. I mean, I thought it was interesting. I didn't think it was thrill a minute, but I quite liked the kind of the feel of the game, the fact that Atleti was so defensive in Chelsea, it was all about them trying to find a solution, probably down the right, and then in the end, the goal was a bit of a freak event, came from a, a bit of a counter attack, and I thought a really good finish from Giroud. I think, you know, amidst three minutes of waiting around to work out precisely why he was on side, because we didn't seem to get a very good angle of that uh, the replays. It was a brilliant finish from a player who I I, I always bang on about how much I like him, but just enjoy watching him play football. And for all the, the, the sense that sometimes he's not actually the most elegant player in terms of his lack of speed and, and stuff like that, he can produce these incredible moments. I mean, I, I remember being at um, the Emirates when he scored that uh, scorpion kick against Palace. And it was mm. just incredible, to, like genuinely incredible thing to be there. Um, and of course, no one was there to watch it on Tuesday night, but a similarly uh, intelligent finish as well as being very acrobatic of course.
2: Do do you know what it reminded me of? Go on. Pele's in escape to victory it (laughs) seemed to unfold at a similar kind of rate very very slow motion and it was pretty similar kick actually. I I think um,
5: our our chum Adam Hurry pointed out that it was very similar to the kind of goal you'd see in a betting advert which I really liked (laughs) because they're never they're never properly spectacular bicycle kicks are they they're slightly Slightly like almost mechanical looking bicycle right. kicks. So, uh, but yeah, I thought. I mean, fair play to Chelsea. I I, I thought Atleti were really strong favourites going into this game. I was surprised they were that level of defensive, and I wonder whether Simeone was just overly concerned about the unusual nature of the tie, the fact that it was on a neutral ground, and he was just desperate to prevent an away goal because I guess if you're the the home side at a neutral venue. The idea of the opposition scoring an away goal almost feels unfair, doesn't it? So he was probably so desperate to avoid that. And I think probably playing for the 0-0, which on the balance of play, you,
2: you wouldn't have said was an unfair result. They had some extenuating circumstances, the, the, the recent bout of COVID, the, um, the absence of their, their first-choice full as well. But a lot of people feeling, and I think even within the Spanish press, that they got what they deserved for essentially not ever trying. I don't think they had a single shot on target, did they?
3: No, they've scored 22 goals in the last 23 Champions League knockout games, which is both impressive and unimpressive at the same time. Um, You take out the Red Bull games this season, they've scored two goals in five Champions League games. So, you know, sometimes it works, often it works, to be fair to them. But, you know, when it doesn't, they're left high and dry. Um, Mm. And, I mean, it's not over, because one goal in it in the second leg is, is nothing. And as, you know, as Michael said, the Chelsea now have to defend... Uh, the away go situation, but yeah, it's, it wasn't. It wasn't great.
2: Mm. Both Mason Mount and Jorginho will be suspended for the second leg. Uh, Simeone parking the bus this week at the weekend. Tuchel depositing Cho under it. Uh, and Michael, I know there was a lot of interest in how the team and uh, Callum Hudson Odoi would 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 react to that. Of course, he was straight into the starting lineup for Tuesday's game. You wrote a full piece actually on on what you think Tuchel was after. Uh, with that post-game interview at the weekend, and and how and how effective it was, Jack.
4: Can we just have a quick adjudication on on you calling him Cho? I've I've never heard anyone do that before. It, have is it a thing? I, I don't know. Um, it's James Richardson I, setting the, setting the agenda. I like it.
2: Right. <laughs> <laughs> Probably it was done about a year ago by Chelsea.
5: Pounds, I, <laughs> I mean, it was odd that he made the substitution, but. It, The fact that he really pointed to a specific thing he didn't like, he said, I didn't like his counter pressing. And I think against Atletico Madrid, that's more important than in any game this season because they're so good at the moment where they win the ball, they play one or two quick passes and they get on the counter attack. And probably the most impressive aspect that either side did in that game was Chelsea preventing Atletico from breaking at all. I don't think they, I think I had maybe two decent counter attacks and I went through and I just watched the. The, the game again and they were really, really quick at, at snuffing out danger really high up the pitch when they lost the ball. And so I wonder whether Tuchel was not making a point about Hudson-Odoi, he was making a point about, about counter-pressing and winning the ball back quickly because actually Hudson-Odoi has been one of the big winners from the Tuchel regime, probably alongside Alonso on the other side. I mean Hudson-Odoi has played really well at uh, wing-back and also did pretty well almost up front against Tottenham so I almost felt like he was picking on a player who he knows he's got onside to make a wider point. and And Chelsea did that really well against, um, against Atletico. Because, I mean, if you watch the tape of Hudson-Odoi's weekend performance, um, I know they did it on Monday Night Football, for example. Actually, he, he was doing it quite well. There wasn't any real obvious sign of, uh, you know, lethargic nature. So to, I think in hindsight, it was probably about the concept rather than about the individual. And Hudson-Odoi did quite well. He, he wasn't. He wasn't spectacular, but I think he probably was Chelsea's most threatening player on the night. So
2: mm. he didn't have a problem with the individual uh, himself either. People have uh, looked at Tuchel's excellent results so far in charge of Chelsea and compared them to similar runs that Lampard had earlier on when he was not coming up against terribly stiff opposition. So in that sense, I guess Tuesday and this coming weekend's clash with Man United were the first real tests. You're impressed with Tuchel so far?
5: I think they're a better side than under Lampard. Yeah, I mean, it's early days. I think he's the kind of manager where you do need time to get up to speed with his methods. And I think taking charge of a side midway through this campaign is more difficult than ever because there's so little time on the training ground and so many matches. So I think it's going to take a while before they get up to full speed. But I just see more of a plan than under Lampard. I understand what he's trying to do. I understand there's a certain, a couple of positions that maybe they aren't that strong in. I mean, goalkeeper being the obvious one, and that was a problem for Lampard as well, obviously. But yeah, I, I just think he's a, a better manager for Chelsea at the moment, and I do see more of a, a plan going forward.
3: And there was also the idea that he would come in and you know not use Mason Mount, not use Hudson-Odoi, because you know he hates young English players, and he's a technocrat that just wants robots. And there's a slight Venn diagram with people that have been attacking XG... Uh, this week and you know people that kind of thought Lampard was possibly harshly treated I don't know I'm just sort of theorising. wonder what but
2: other categories but... would fit into that Venn diagram. Mm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jack how long do you think Jao Felix is going to be happy playing for Madrid's answer to Crystal Palace?
4: <laughs> yeah that's a good question I, I wrote a big piece on him probably just over a year ago now maybe a bit more and spoke to to people who would have a perspective on that, one of one of whom was was Paulo Futre, who like the great Portuguese striker who also played for Atleti, and he he said, "Look, yeah, when you play for Atleti, it's it's not just about Simeone's Atleti. The whole club has this kind of feeling where you have to sweat for the shirt because they're they're kind of perennial underdogs in terms of the the title race. It's not a club where you go and uh, you know just play stylish football. You you have to you have to sweat for your for your opportunities, you have to to do the hard work and then do the fun stuff on top of that. I look at someone like him and I don't doubt that he's probably added aspects to his game. He may well come out of it a more rounded player, but I do think that it's a shame on a just kind of selfish view as someone who likes stylish, creative players. He does have moments when he can do that, but they are moments. And just in, in, in very simple terms, compare uh you know say Joel Felix has two or three seasons at Atletico, compare him to a similar player, you know, Manchester City were interested at the time. Had he gone to Man City, just the amount of time on the ball he will have across three years under Simeone against three years with Guardiola. I mean we're talking it's fractional, isn't it? It's it's not he's probably gonna have what, a quarter of the amount of touches as he would have had at a club like City. Um that really does cut down on his opportunities to do impressive things. And it means that there's kind of an added pressure every time he does get the ball because people are expecting him to to show the talent we know he has. And if you're only getting two, three kind of openings in front of you in a match, that, that becomes a very high-pressure situation. So, yeah, like, I don't know him personally, but it, it, if I was in his shoes, I would probably be starting to get itchy feet at some point, yeah.
2: Yeah. Mm. Well, he's got, he's got, I think, quite a long deal still, hasn't he? But yeah, Diego Simeone may not be the manager forever. There, he's he's talked in the past about his plans to do other things elsewhere. Uh, anyway, uh, as it stands, uh, Real Madrid, the only Spanish side to win their first leg, uh, we mentioned they finally made it past Atalanta in the eighty-fifth minute. Uh, Bayern, the big winners uh, of the last few days, with that four-one away at Lazio, they do love uh, going to Italy. They they tend to rack up the goals. They're among the scorers here, Jamal Musiala, who celebrated becoming the youngest ever Englishman to score in the Champions League by becoming German. Which, uh, <laughs> you can read all about the reasons for that in a, an exclusive interview uh, with Raphael Honigstein in The Athletic, of course.
5: That's actually, it's not just a very good interview, but um, when you read uh, Musiala's words, he doesn't sound like an. He just uses sentences and phrases that... <laughs> don't sound like an Englishman. He says something like, football is a universal language and it's spoken very fluently in England. And I just can't imagine a young English footballer saying that. So
2: I think it's only right he plays for Germany. All right. we well, he was born in Stuttgart anyway. Uh, excellent. Very good. Uh, also, of course, Man City had a victory. Pretty straightforward stuff. That was that, what, 19th win in a row?
3: What if Guardiola sold football? And they win every game forever now because it is theoretically possible that a team does doesn't ever drop points or or lose or draw a game ever again, and it is feeling like that a bit at the moment. Do you know who holds the record for consecutive wins in Europe? It's Bayern, inevitably twenty three.
4: Ah, uh, see now I'm I'm working from the alternative stats. <laughs> Uh, universe that is the Guinness Book of World Records. So maybe I mean you probably know more than me to be honest.
3: I mean Norris McWhirter is an admirable man, but um... what 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 does the Guinness Book of World Records say? Well,
4: there's been a kind of debate slash outcry in Brazil because about ten years ago, this they were a second division team then, but they were they were getting promoted. Called Cidade won twenty four in a row, and kind of applied to Guinness and said, "Look, this has happened." Is this a record Guinness said, yeah, it was. And they did like a a ceremony and this being a, a fairly modest club. It was quite a thing for them. Like there, there are still articles on their website there. You can see pictures of this little plaque that Guinness gave them kind of lovingly presented in their, in their museum. But then in 2015, there was a bit of a rejig Guinness kind of went through the record books again and saw that Ajax had a winning run in 71, 72 which previously had been discounted because they lost a match to Marseille, but that match was a friendly. So they took that out and it turns out that, that Ajax team won 26 in a row. Um, and there's also, they also kind of dug up another Ajax run with 25. Third is Real Madrid in 2014-15.
2: So they really didn't do their research for handing this plaque <laughs> out. Classic Guinness.
4: Maybe, yeah. Typical Guinness. You wouldn't get that uh, um Perform slash opta, would you? But yeah, it was um apparently according Did to any the... of them
3: complete a Rubik's cube while they were doing it? That's the big <laughs> question. <laughs> 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 Talking of completing Rubik's Cubes, Edison I thought was particularly good against uh and gladback He he made forty percent of his touches outside the box, which is almost you know, he is kind of now becoming the third centre half, which obviously allows other players to do, our friend Cancelo included lots of other things so, you know they they are playing so well at the moment Um, I guess it's down to David Moyes at the weekend to to try and change things
2: We'll we'll break that game down very, very shortly, but would you like to see, Duncan, for example Edison take up a role, perhaps as an outfield player, with maybe Carl Walker stepping in, you know just for giggles, stepping in between the posts
3: well, Walker's made four percent of City saves in the Champions League since the start of last season, so he is the he's the true versatile fullback at the club. Yeah,
2: nice. Uh, Aguero uh, was back in this game. Stones and KDB were rested. Biggest surprise selection, though, from Pep was probably his jacket, which <laughs> yeah. Uh, Ad asks if Man City are to lose in the quarterfinals like they usually do, who should they be scared of most? Who do you think? Bayern, PSG says Ad. Are the obvious answers Dortmund because of their potent attack or ironically Chelsea because of their new pragmatic tactics? I think
5: City and Bayern are the best teams in the competition
2: probably by quite a long way.
5: I mean a, a month ago I probably would have put Atleti up there but they were so disappointing on on Tuesday and actually haven't been in great form in the league. But yeah I think Bayern are the best team um, alongside City. I think it's, it's those two to... Um, I think that the the European Cup probably will be between those two. I can't work out what I want to happen. I can't work out whether I want them to face each other in the final. Or actually, I just think a game over two legs between them would be more fun, if anything. Finals tend to be kind of a bit cagey and negative, but a a two-legged game between that Bayern and this city, I'd be well up for that.
3: Yeah, the two-legged semis, obviously that didn't happen last year, but recently have been kind of the peak of football, I'd say, in the last few seasons, so... Hmm.
2: All right, well, we shall see. Uh, In the meantime, this week also saw some Premier League action held over from uh, previous rounds. We'll get on to that next.
0: Come on, mate. Keep going. We're almost there.
2: Oh, the legs have gone. Pressing is
0: hard. The weather is so mentally fatigued. All right, lads. Already on the way down, are you? That was a view from the top. Liverpool might have peaked under Klopp, but at Paddy Power, if things aren't going your way, we'll give you your money back as a free bet if one leg of your fourfold ACCA lets you down. Paddy Power! Max free bet £10, min odds 25 on each leg, online exclusive, exclude shop bets and enhanced match odds. TCC supply 18 plus Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24 7 US based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card.
1: This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and
2: the very best
1: football writers around.
2: Two Premier League games since our last show. Leeds with a 3-0 win over Saints. Uh, the bounce back from that 9-0 defeat to any day now for Southampton. Uh, and on Monday, uh, back then, of course, uh, Roy Hodgson with that magnificent <laughs> victory. So I'm laughing already. But sorry, it was not funny at all if you're a Bright- Brighton fan. Um, a 2-1 win for Palace at Brighton. Two meetings this season. Palace have had a grand total of four shots across the two fixtures. Brighton have had 45, and yet Palace have taken four points and Brighton just won from these two meetings. Were you despairing of this? Were you admiring the, uh, the, the, the Crystal Palace chutzpah?
5: I just really enjoyed it. I, I thought it was incredibly funny because there was a sense of inevitability about... Brighton I mean they, they just do this so much they, they dominate games and they don't score enough goals because they I think I'm right in saying last time I checked they had the lowest percentage of their shots that went on target of uh, any team in the, in the major five European leagues so yeah it just felt kind of inevitable I mean I really don't want them to go down Brighton because I, I like mm. watching them a lot but I do also quite like this almost comic book ability to, to absolutely outplay teams and then somehow lose
2: the game are well, only four points uh, off the the bottom three now?
3: Yeah, I mean, it, it would be a travesty in a sense if they went down, but they've they've kind of gone from you know we've called them the world's unluckiest team, and they've now lurched into sort of a an avant-garde art project to demonstrate the limits of of knowledge about football. Um,
2: Speaking of art, did you, the shot map from this game was 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 a work of beauty?
3: Yeah, and. And it also was capped off by the fact that Benteke scored the winner, and he's now got the joint most 90th minute winning goals in in Premier League history, which surprised uh, quite a few people. Mm. Um, You know, it it's gone beyond a few games now. I mean, it's not just unluckiness; Um, it is a problem for Brighton. And they and as you say, they are nearing with Fulham improving. They are nearing you know, big danger. So they do need to find a way around it, whether that's by changing the style of play a little bit or unearthing a finisher. Um, Maybe Aaron Connolly just needs to watch some more episodes of Premier League years and he'll, you know, find his mojo.
4: They've got the most confounding team sheets in the Premier League in that they don't put them in formation or in kind of rough order of where they might be playing. They're just a list. I think it's by number. And because Potter seems to pick 90% 90% centre-backs and creative midfielders. I like. It takes me about 10 minutes every week to work out who's playing where because there's usually at least one centre-back at fullback, often one in midfield as well. And then, yeah, just like a jumble of players who used to play at number 10 but have kind of been adapted to different positions. But it's good fun. But yeah, obviously not going quite as well as you might have hoped.
5: I mean, it, it's not inconceivable that Brighton could go down and then in the summer, Graham Potter gets appointed to a really big job because mm. of their style of play and because their underlying numbers are so good. And I just think that would be incredibly hilarious. Can you imagine the, the reaction of people like Tim Sherwood
3: when yeah. that happens? I, I just think it'd be incredibly enjoyable. <laughs> well, not only that, but it could also happen to Hootel as well. Southampton could be forced <laughs> to get rid of him. I mean, it's, what is going on on the South Coast? Um, someone needs to investigate. Indeed. Uh,
2: Brighton then, perhaps need to be more savvy when they're taking on teams that take this approach, which could indeed be the case this weekend. Because while Palace will be hosting Fulham, Brighton are at West Brom, who you could see under Big Sam trying to pull off a similar kind of heist.
3: Yes, but I would say that uh, Palace have got better players than, than West Brom. So, And also Brighton tend to be a little bit more fortunate-slash-effective away from home. So, yeah, it's a chance. Um, obviously, it's the 2nd longest name classical in Premier League history after Wolverhampton Wanderers against Brighton and Hove Albion. So, that might inspire them.
5: I mean, no-one ever calls these sides by their full place name, do they? Because mm. it's a team representing Brighton and Hove against a side representing West Bromwich. But you only ever get Brighton <laughs> and Hove Albion or Brighton and West Bromwich Albion or West Brom. So mm. I think we should call this Brighton and Hove against West Bromwich.
3: Okay. Are you going for the West Bromwich pronunciation there, Michael? Or. Is that
5: is that a debate?
2: Just before we move
3: the on from this. W silent. Can Please. we just can get can a shout out? Because,
2: Duncan, you were pointing out that, that maybe Palace have better players than, say, West Brom do, but one of them would be Jean Philippe
4: Mateta. What a goal! I saw people salivating about this. I don't get that excited about those what? kind of but kind of flicked finishes. So, so you,
2: just to put this in perspective, so who puts the cross in? Ayu. Okay,
4: I think. so Ayu puts
2: the cross in and he basically does one of those 360 spins, back it in in the process. Uh, I thought it was gorgeous. I mean, it's a style of goal that I, I personally very much enjoy, but not your bag, Jack. Well, Jack, doesn't,
5: Jack doesn't like these things because Jack rates himself as a footballer and thinks that he yeah. could score that goal, basically. That's what's happened to it.
4: I, I don't think that's relevant in this. I do rate myself as a footballer. But <laughs> I think it was. It's one of those ones. I I tend to rate goals more when there's more choice involved. That's just kind of one of those instinctive things. That the, the ball's slightly behind him. That's pretty much the only way he can get a shot on target. There. There's no supporting. He still gonna do it though. Yeah, but it's kind of it's kind of a 50-50 chance. Flick it behind me. If it gets blocked, no one blames you. You should watch some more League One, League Two football. That yeah, when that opportunity right. arrives and no one is thinking that there's only one choice here. Yeah, I'm very much a metropolitan liberal elite football watcher. I'm just I'm used to only the good stuff.
5: I think Duncan, you're gonna have to consult the XG stats about that being a fifty-fifty chance <laughs> as well.
3: Come on. Yeah. Twenty-nine percent at best. A quick
2: word on Leeds and their 3 0 win over Saints as well. That's um I great from Leeds. Bamford, Dallas and Rafinha, uh, as usual, the, the score is there. But uh, Southampton now, one point from eight games, one win in 13 matches. And Haslenhutl speaking about the team seeming to give up in the second half. Ooh,
4: What I liked about this one it was the assist for Bamford's opener was the kind of assist that if you saw it just in like visualised form in a little diagram, or you saw it on Football Manager just from the top down, you think it was like a classic gorgeous number 10 assist because Roberts receives it between the lines, takes one touch and splits the centre-backs, arrows the ball through. And that 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 sounds like a really classy number 10 assist, whereas you watch it and it's like one of the ugliest good assists I've ever seen in that he <laughs> never seems to have the ball under control. His first touch is bad. His second touch, he's kind of stretching and it bobbles through and basically Bamford makes a lot of it, but it's just, yeah, kind of got away with a weird, gorgeous ugly 40-yard assist.
2: But is that because of the, the state of the pitch
4: that he was playing on, mm. do you think? Could be, yeah. I mean, did, it really didn't look great and it was notable that both sides really struggled to pass.
3: I want to see that pitch come good. I mean, I'm hoping that this week of good weather has really helped it bed in. Um, it's, it needs it, really. So We've heard of foreign players coming over and being
4: able, unable to adapt to the climate, but this is the first time. Yeah, it's hard, when, it's hard when you arrive in January, midway through a season get up to
2: the pace of the league it's tough yeah. the poor sod yes so <laughs> hey. now this, this came from uh spurs though
3: <laughs> yeah uh
2: okay yeah. and patrick vanford said it's like going to winter wonderland at christmas which is a wonderful analogy i don't know when the last time patrick went to one of these godforsaken mud you know Somesque esque um excuses for a festive celebration but anyway yeah. more nice-
3: passion in the game but less passion dale i think Mm, nice talking nice.
4: of celebrations mm. uh, it was nice that Jafinha paid tribute to i don't know if you saw this um his shirt paid tribute to ronaldinho's mum who passed away uh, a few days ago they oh, right. their families grew up in the same uh, neighborhood in porto alegre yeah so the kind of connections between Jafinha's dad and ronaldinho's family and so yeah that was a nice little tribute
2: Mm. And, and of course, today bringing news on a kind of related note that um, Alison's father died suddenly in a in a very sad accident, uh, drowned in, a, in in a lake at his holiday home. So mm. uh, imagine he's he's heading off to Brazil as we speak. Uh, anyway, there you go. So that was the midweek action. Uh, we will next up get on to what awaits this weekend in the Premier League.
1: you can use Indeed for scheduling, screening and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. According to their own survey, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites. Remember the last time you were hiring and how slow and overwhelming it was? Well, you don't need to go through all that again. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent. And because you listen to the Totally Football Show, Indeed is going to give you a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at indeed.com slash totally. That's ind dot com slash totally. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed at indeed.com. On Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Smart Speaker and now ad-free on The Athletic, this is the Totally Football Show with James Richardson.
2: Loads of Premier League action on the way, listener. We've got games every day between Saturday lunchtime, when this next round begins, and next Thursday night. Among the treats in store, Leeds Villa, Villa's first visit to Allen Road since that now-famous Championship game two seasons ago when Leeds let them score. Uh, there's also uh, Chelsea Man United, uh, Leicester against Arsenal, and it all kicks off Saturday lunchtime with Man City against West Ham. West Ham, as we know, have been brilliant. They're now in the top four, but now they're playing the team that might have solved football. Can they stop them? How can they stop them? Michael, this is very much your wheelhouse. How will they try to stop them? I mean, West Ham
5: play very deep. I was looking at some stats uh, this week that indicated pretty much alongside Wolves, they just defend deeper than anyone else. I think they're very good at defending crosses, Uh, in particular because Suchek and Rice almost act as bonus centre-backs, I think, when the the ball is wide. So I think they'll be happy to show City out wide, um, and it'll be up to City to do some damage from that area. They can, of course, do that in slightly interesting ways. We saw João Cancelo in in midweek deliver two brilliant crosses to Bernardo Silva, one that he scored, one that he knocked across the goal for a Gabriel Jesus assist. And actually, in the reverse game, Uh, earlier this season, which is a long time ago. uh, Cancelo was really, really good in that. It was the first game, where I think the first game I'd seen him play left-back and really do this kind of drifting inside thing. So um, I think Cancelo, again, will be a key player. I mean, I I think we have to now start talking about him. He's one of the best players in the Premier League. I was looking at the odds um, for the Player of the Season award earlier today, and he's not even on the list. And when you go down the the list to the, the players he can get odds on... There's the likes of Deli Ali and Granit Xhaka and Marcus Alonso, which... um,
2: Scott Parker. (laughs) Yeah. Which which Player of the Year award is this, Michael?
5: Uh, So this is for the PFA Player of the Year. Okay. Um, I mean, I don't think he he will win. I think Bruno Fernandes will probably win. Maybe Gundogan, a couple of others, Grealish maybe. But I think he's quite possibly deserving of a place on... um, It's usually a a six-man shortlist, isn't it? I I think he could well sneak onto that. So... Yeah, the fact you can't get odds on him. Maybe, maybe suddenly he'll pop up as a hundred to one or something. It might be worth a, a go. It,
4: with him, I think it's been really fine margins in that he's had a lot of kind of good goal-scoring opportunities that he's carved out for himself. And his finishing has occasionally let him down, just a touch understandable given he's a fullback. But had I don't know three of the shots he's had from good positions gone in, I think that with defenders, an annoying amount is often kind of down to the goals they score when it comes to these awards, even though it shouldn't be. So yeah, I, I don't think he'd he'd be miles out of that conversation had he scored, I don't know, five league goals instead of instead of the one or two he has. Just to
3: uh, back Michael up on his Rice-Suchek point, there Suchek's the only man to have run over 300 kilometres in the Premier League this season, and Rice is fourth. So, you know, Moyes is getting a lot out of the mint. It's quite interesting that Moyes is playing City in the sense that, do you remember when he was United manager and he he kind of lost his way completely when he said that um, United needed to aspire to be like City, which is not what you want to say as a Manchester United boss. And it feels like after United, it's taken him so long to get back to believing in his original Everton methods, and and finally he's got to that point. And and lo and behold, West Ham are you know genuinely challenging for the top four
2: so they're in the top four they're also behind City the team who have taken the most Premier League points in 2021 the reverse fixture finished 1-1 what do you think? I I don't think it's inconceivable they could get something on the
5: basis that off the top of my head I haven't looked at the stats but I'm sure that a lot of sides who played in the Champions League last week then dropped points at the weekend I mean PSG lost
3: Liverpool lost
5: yeah so uh, that is something that is in West Ham's favour, they've they they've had a full week of, of recovery.
3: And yet City were able to rest players, I mean they rested Kevin De Bruyne. I mean this game will possibly feature the two highest scoring players, current players, who haven't scored a headed goal in the Premier League, which is Mark Noble and Kevin De Bruyne. Um, so <laughs> them both getting a header would be a delight. Also we should pay tribute to Ferran Torres in this game because he won't get to celebrate his birthday this week because he was born on February the 29th. He's one of only f- <laughs> five players in Premier League history to have benefited from a leap year. Um, but he won't. I mean, is he going to go February the 28th or March the 1st? You can judge a lot by what a person chooses in that scenario.
5: D- Duncan, does he qualify as an under-21 player for the purposes of squad list because he's only had about five <laughs> birthdays?
3: Yeah. <laughs> All right, well,
2: that game's coming up uh, Saturday at lunchtime. Sunday, 4.30, meantime, you've got the other Manchester team, United, who are facing a big test themselves away at Thomas Tuchel's Chelsea. There are six points between these two teams. Chelsea six points behind United and currently two points off the top four. It's a big big game, this, for the, uh, the race for Champions League positions. And another big test for Thomas Tuchel after the the trip to, kind of, in inverted commas, Atletico in, in Bucharest. United, after all, uh, with an excellent record on the road. Who do you fancy here?
5: I would favour Chelsea, um, just on the basis that whenever I watch Manchester United... I, m- I must watch completely the wrong games with Manchester United, but whenever I watch them, they're just terrible. I thought they were awful against Newcastle last weekend. Um, West Brom away, they never got going. That FA Cup game against West Ham was just dreadful to watch. Um, obviously Bruno Fernandes, I think, has been the best player in the league. So I think it'll all, be all about keeping him quiet. And Chelsea usually keep quite tight in that zone under Tuchel. Play two midfielders who don't really advance. So I think that's the key to the game, isn't it? Probably the key to most games against Manchester United. I think if you keep uh, Fernandes quiet, I'd say roughly the only other thing you have to worry about is Rashford doing something fantastic. Maybe cutting in from the wing or, you know, I think he's been good in various positions. But I think Chelsea look at a better side at
3: the moment. I mean, you're right. I think Rashford is probably the key player. He scored that really good knuckleball free kick in the was it League Cup game at Stamford Bridge. United have are on a really good run away at Stamford Bridge, and it has kind of suited them. You know, their their counter attack has found um, success mm-hmm. on this ground. But you do feel like Tuchel will have. Will a know that and B will have prepared for it. So, you know, it's the number the number twenty should sponsor this weekend's football because obviously City could win their twentieth game in a row and United can equal Chelsea's record of twenty uh, unbeaten Premier League away games in a row. So, yeah, I mean, a draw wouldn't surprise me massively in this match.
4: It is quite surprising given given how central Fernandez is to everything United do. How few teams have have tried to just smother him or or at least, maybe they have tried to smother him and just haven't been successful. Obviously, this is this is a fixture um, that brings to mind one of you know the famous repeat smothering jobs like anda Herrera on on Eden Hazard, which which was mm. fairly effective strategy two or three times uh, during Mourinho's time as Man United manager. And yeah, I don't think we'll see that here because I don't think uh, either Georginio or Kovacic are particularly suited to it, but. If I was a the manager of a mid-table Premier League team, that would that would probably be the first thing that would come to mind when facing United. Maybe they're doing it, and he's just too clever and and kind of moves out of out of the position his marker expects him to be in. But strange, I don't know. Yeah, it's, it's quite rare you see one of those real uh, kind of cancellation jobs in the Premier League.
2: Are you anticipating Chelsea being quite um, pragmatic in this one? Low blocks, that kind of thing.
5: I don't think so I mean just because I I think Tuchel's really based his side around dominating the game through possession and and like I said against Atletico just um you know stopping the counter-attacks at source so I think he'll try and do that I wonder whether he will change something in the midfield maybe bring in Kante who um, I think is stronger defensively obviously than Jorginho and Kovacic so that might be a potential change he'll make but I don't think the style of of football will change significantly. I think he'll uh, he'll keep on going in the current direction.
2: All right. Should be a good game. Uh, before that, on Sunday, uh, Leicester will be taking on Arsenal. Both teams uh, yet to play in Europe uh, this week. They'll be in action Thursday evening. Uh, both uh, with ties very much in the balance. Leicester against Slavia Prague and Arsenal with Benfica. Uh, Arsenal have lost their last three visits to the King Power in the Premier League, although they did win there in the Carabao Cup earlier this season. We'll report back on what happens this time. in Monday morning show. Next up, let's talk about Leeds Aston Villa.
0: This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to michelobultracom courtside. To learn more,
1: you're listening to the Totally Football Show, sponsored by Paddy Power.
0: Roger down, no recognised
6: striker on the bench. Oh, again, I think Will Leeds put it out. Oh,
1: this is this is this is controversial. Click goes on.
2: And he scores, and Villa will be humiliated. Leeds Aston Villa, everybody. Good times. Two years ago, last time Villa went down and rode, there was that business when Click scored after Villa had a man down. It looked like Leeds were going to put the ball out. So everyone stopped, but instead, no. The ball was put through to Click and he scores past Villa's scrambling rear guard. And John Terry gets in Bielsa's face, probably screaming, No, I didn't call you a Latin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
3: <laughs>
2: and, uh, and, uh, and then, of course, Bielsa. So, so nobly goes, <laughs> Look, just let them score. They're going to make this foreign awesome managers
3: coming over here co opting our fair play. It makes you yeah. sick. Uh, although some players
2: didn't get the memo, notably Pontus Janssen, of course. But anyway, um, yeah, extraordinary. I mean, the commentators at the time were saying this is the most incredible thing I've ever seen on a football pitch. I'm not sure that it was, but it was still pretty remarkable stuff.
3: It happens, I'd say. Once every six seasons on average, I think. Really?
4: <laughs> yeah, no,
3: come on. What? Yeah, it happened in a yo Yeov- game, Arsenal Sheffield United um, situation. So you know, it's it's rare, but it's it happens.
2: Okay. Wow, I mean, could happen this time as well. John Terry will be there. Uh... I mean, it, I will be surprised
3: if it happens in this game. Okay.
2: Just saying. <laughs> <But>. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jack Grealish won't be there, though. He's out for an un, uh, unspecified amount of uh, of time. And uh, what, what do you think? Villa, Villa have been struggling a little bit, and the pitch looks awful. Any other thoughts before these two teams to battle again?
4: Yeah, it's hard for me to predict this one without first um, going through the fantasy teams of, right. of Villa's backroom staff. Um, but you can't so, do
2: that anymore, Jack, because they've all been banned from playing FPL.
4: Yeah, so I see. But yeah, the Grealish thing is, is interesting. I've I mean, I don't follow Dean Smith's press conferences um particularly closely personally, but I've I've seen a lot of Villa fans talking this week about him having a reputation for kind of not really uh perhaps giving the full truth on player injuries, kind of repeatedly suggesting that players are, are close to fitness. And whereas in reality, it's it's further than he's letting on. I think that happened to Grealish before and certainly happened with Ross Barkley o- earlier this season. So um, him saying that Grealish was a possibility for this game, I don't think we should read too much into that. And
2: Oh, is he saying it might be bad for this?
4: Well, he, he said last week when he was asked about it, he said... Yeah, he said it was a kind of a possibility but was really not very committal and this has a lot of Villa fans that I've seen saying well it's it's probably worse than he's letting on because he has this habit of kind of prevaricating um, but yeah obviously Grealish is, is so central to what they do I thought they were quite toothless without him last weekend um, Barkley brings a bit of creativity but it's not just the passes, it's the way that Grealish um, kind of summons responsibility. And without that kind of gravitational pull, I think they do they do miss a lot. And if he's not playing, I think they will struggle him. Oli Watkins has had the most shots from counterattacks this season. So
3: you imagine he might get a little bit of profit in this game. OK.
2: Leeds, of course, in a rich vein of form, as we mentioned, with that 3-0 win over Saints. Down the bottom, meanwhile... Brighton potentially back in the mix here. Saints could be too if they're not careful uh, with their one point in eight games. They are still eight points clear of Fulham, but some tough fixtures coming up for Saints. Uh, As it stands anyway, Fulham's nearest kind of target in their bid to break free of the bottom three uh, are Newcastle. They're only three points ahead. Fulham very much the form team among that cluster of sides at the bottom are at crystal palace this weekend newcastle host wolves and brighton as we mentioned before are at west brom are we going to see fulham level with newcastle by the end of play newcastle hosting wolves fulham at palace
3: yes why not be fun wouldn't it
2: okay fulham to get the win a premier league fixture this as mundial were pointing out best known for that incredible Kasami goal, and well done for them for printing out because I would not have remembered that it was Kasami who scored. Do you remember this, Michael? Kasami. Oh, my word. That is astonishing. It's a truly brilliant goal at Fulham a Level.
5: I was at this game, and that was actually the the day after... No, it wasn't. I was going to say it was the day after the Giroud Scorpion kick. It was the day after the Jack Wilshere goal. Ah. Uh, against Norwich, I think the, the one goal of the season, yeah, the lucky one. Um, so yeah, so in the end, Kasami's goal was arguably not even the best goal of the weekend, according to that voting. Although I think it, well, I think it was the goal of the season. I think it's, uh, I was just, ast- uh, yeah, I was there. I, it's the most astonished I've ever been at seeing a goal. It was absolutely incredible. I can't work out even before he hits it, I can't work out how he makes up enough ground between the chest control and the. The finish. It's just a brilliant goal. Yeah. Was even Jack
4: Lang
2: impressed with that goal?
4: Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll accept that was pretty decent, yeah.
3: All right. It reminded me of one that Dean Windass scored for Hull against Woking. Very similar, but possibly less <laughs> less celebrated. Less celebrated.
4: Kasami went on to date um, the singer of the Pussycat Dolls, didn't he? Really? What? Yeah. No, he... <laughs> he did. I'm, lo- I'm looking at a... Uh, a, a long shot web page right now what before or after lewis hamilton uh june 2015 uh, you'll have to put the timeline together that i'm afraid
2: yeah after i'm saying he's currently in basel i think is that what your information suggests there jack
4: um this this tabloid page does not doesn't cover his football
2: okay well he's doing his on-field scoring for basel it says here eight goals in 18 matches I bet they're all crackers as well. Anyway, so Fulham are playing at Palace and Newcastle hosting Wolves and Wolves have suddenly started baring their teeth again. 10 points from the last 12 available. Newcastle had three defeats in four. I mean, we'll see what happens this weekend, but yeah, they could be out of the bottom three by the close of this round. West Brom, meanwhile, taking on Brighton. No team has taken fewer points at home than the Baggies this
3: season. Uh, There you go. It occurred to me, looking at Newcastle Wolves, that these... You know, these were two massive clubs in the 1950s. They won 30% of the domestic trophies available in the 1950s. And as the country hurtles back towards the 1950s, maybe the good times will be back for both these clubs. Also
2: this weekend, Tottenham taking on Burnley. Here's a worrying stat for Spurs. Burnley haven't won at Spurs in the league since 1974. Hang on, why is that worrying for Spurs? Because already this season Burnley have claimed the first win at Arsenal since 74 and the first win at Liverpool since 74 so there you go Spurs by the way have already played their Europa League fixtures you've no doubt seen uh, with another whopping 4-0 win over Wolfsberger they they faced a Wolfsburger and 8-1 I, you know that was my uh, anyway does it mean anything when Spurs go and do this we get this kind of bizarro Spurs from another dimension where they field attacking players and Go freewheeling forward and all that, and this time around, of course, with Deli Ali coming into the mix in spectacular fashion, with possibly the best overhead kick of the midweek action. Uh, Bale once again figuring, Deli with two assists as well, alongside that goal. Does it mean anything? Is this a a, a taster of what's in store when uh, when Spurs take on uh, Burnley this weekend?
4: No, I don't think so. Um, <laughs> it, it, it reminds me of when Arsenal during their struggles over the last few years. They used to have these kind of free hits in the Europa League and there was always the desire that they brought some of that back into the league form. But I think that's quite hard to do. Obviously Spurs fans will look at, look at Bale's goal, look at what Ali was doing, Ali played well, as you said, but there's really no indication that Ali is close to breaking into the, to the league team. Um, I mean, it's a very weird situation. I think you'd have. Got some very strange looks if you'd have told a Spurs fan two years ago that Bayer would have come back and him and Ali would be playing in this kind of weird hinterland version of Spurs against teams they've never heard of in the Europa League and basically doing nothing at the weekend. Um, but yeah, that's that's where we are. And I, I mean, I wouldn't expect this to have much impact on their league form at all. I mean, we,
2: we, we said on, uh, I think last week, just when you see these players coming, you realise what an incredibly rich squad, certainly going forward, that, that Spurs have, which accounts for some of the frustration that their, their supporters... And, and according to reports this week, some of their players are feeling... We've got those... We're at the point now where there are leaks from the dressing room of, of unhappiness. Supposedly that that shot we saw a couple of weeks back when Jose Mourinho was standing outside the dressing room during half-time. You know, Apparently that's meant to have a certain significance in that. I don't know. Anyway... They're at home to Burnley.
3: This game last season, it's kind of a nice reminder of pre-pandemic life because uh, Spurs beat Burnley handsomely, but the next day, Sean Dyche was out shopping in London, enjoying his time down in the capital, and he bumped into Jose Mourinho, um, and they had a nice chat, apparently. And, in classic Dyche fashion, he said, I was on my way to pound stretchers, by the way. He was on his way to Harrods, which, you know, <laughs> They're next door to each other. famously. On, <laughs> yeah, yeah. On the yeah. Uh, I think So where where but, um, did they meet? Where did they meet? Duncan, I, I presume West London-ish, because isn't that where Mourinho still lives? So um, uh, that the, the article didn't didn't provide geolocation information. You
4: should should get Google Maps up and triangulate that, Duncan. Like, Find the closest pound stretcher to Harrods and then midpoint. (laughs) I might actually do
3: that. I mean, (laughs) you know, apparently Mourinho swore um, and then said, sorry, your wife and children are here. So it sounded like a nice nice meeting, (laughs) but obviously the virus has denied us this sort of stuff for the time being, but we'll see. Wow.
2: Interesting. I once bumped into Joe Cole on the old Brompton Road.
5: Mm. Just throw that out there. I okay, while we're chatting about Joe Cole, can I just say I really like him as a pundit. Okay, I think he's really he's really good fun. His his analysis is quite good, and he just he seems to really like just watching football. Yeah. And he also does this thing where at some points he will refer to both the home side and the opposition side in a particular tactical scenario as the boys, and it's quite hard to work <laughs> out which one he means. Right. But I
2: really enjoy it. No, he he. He possesses a, a, an irrepressible enthusiasm. I did wonder, though, when he was covering the Juventus game at Porto last week and they were marvelling at how badly Juve were performing and he said, well, Pirlo's an experienced manager, which you can say many things about Pirlo, but this is literally <laughs> the first months he's ever had as a manager. Um, but, you know, he's an experienced man in football. That, that much is true, Jack.
4: Like likes Curry as well, Joe Cole.
2: Indeed. Also coming up on Sunday, the late game is Liverpool away at Sheffield United, which, of course, as we mentioned, has been overshadowed by the news from Brazil of the sudden death of Alison Becker's uh, father on Wednesday. Now, still to come on this Totally Football show, we're going to talk about Pelé a bit and this week's National League bombshell. First, though, odds from Lee Price from Paddy Power.
6: Riddle me this. If a man speaks in a bookmaker-sponsored segment of a stylish, intellectual and downright sexy podcast, does it actually make a sound? Not if you press the skip button, you cheeky scamps. Yes, I'm back with a roadmap to the weekend's betting, making Boris Johnson's announcement look popular and coherent by comparison. Seriously. According to the science, the Premier League title race is run and Man City are 1-5 to win their 211th consecutive game when they host West Ham on Saturday lunchtime. That's assuming, of course, you eat lunch at half 12, which, frankly, is a bit early for my liking. Now, West Brom versus Brighton might strike some as non-essential viewing, but watching Brighton strikers gives me hope I can still make it, at anything. And I really am at everything. They're 10 to 11 to leave West Brom isolated from safety. On to Sunday's games, and Jose Mourinho is looking forward to leading Tottenham into April's League Cup final, if the data allows. And by data, I mean Spurs actually winning a few games. We do fancy to beat Burnley though, they're one to two to take the points. After all, Deli Alli and Gareth Bale looked good in Europe, so they should make an impact if they get off the bench. Then two Champions League contenders will mix, with Manchester United hoping to put some social distance between themselves and host Chelsea. The Blues are the favourites though at six to five, United are 23 to 10. That evening, Sheffield United appear to be on a one-way road to freedom from the Premier League, and even Liverpool should beat them. Paddy Power rate it a four to 11 chance. And by that point, we'll all be clawing at the front door, desperate to escape our homes, our families, and even if only a little tiny bit, the relentless football. Hey, I said a tiny bit. Bye, Felicia.
2: You can find out these odds and more at paddypower.com or the PaddyPower app. Prices are accurate at the time of recording. It's over 18s only. Terms and conditions apply. And when the fun stops, stop. Speaking of odds. By the way, uh, you probably saw that Neil Lennon resigned as Celtic manager on Wednesday morning. They sit 18 points behind their rivals, Rangers. Assistant John Kennedy will take charge until the end of the season. But Paddy Power make Eddie Howell the favourite to take over in the summer. But also on the list, Steve Clark, Rafa Benitez and Frank Lampard. So the dream is alive.
4: Uh, (laughs)
3: yeah. Yeah. OK. That would be good.
4: If only there was a third Scottish giant that Paul Skulls could take over as well. Right. Uh,
2: there's a new episode of Beyond the Headline out, and it's all about Justin Fashino. Uh It would have been Justin's 60th birthday last week, and The Athletic, and this features our very own Nick Miller, have done a, a new episode of Beyond the Headline, looking at his life, death, and uh, complex legacy. It's titled Justin Fashionough, the untold story of Britain's first gay footballer. And you can listen to it in all the usual places. Michael, big question here from Ed Quoth, the Raven. Referencing uh, the announcement this week that steps three to six of non-league, so that's National League North and South and the next two under, are annulled from the season. Ed the Raven, points out that this means Grantham must wait for another away win in the league. Oh, must wait for another away win in the league because their last one was Boxing Day 2018. Crikey, they won't get a chance to change that for the foreseeable future. What is the panel's, I said, favourite inconceivably long streak in any statistic? Huh.
3: Mine is that Stoke lost their first ever game 2-0 and have never had a positive cumulative goal difference ever in their history as a football club. That's not true. It is true. They've, I've got a graph. I'll reply to this tweet with the graph, but they they've got close to zero at a few points in their history, but it's never ever going to happen. Now they're on like minus twelve hundred or something. So you're joking? There we go. Yeah.
2: Wow! I mean, pfft. There, there's your answer, I quote for, Raven. That's my favourite now
4: as well. Do I? I assume the majority of clubs have a negative goal difference. Duncan, is that is that fair? Um, not. Yeah, I think
3: probably the majority do, but there's quite a few with positive goal differences. But at some point in the history, you'd
2: like to think that they might have
3: briefly. Yeah, even all the teams that won on the opening day in 1888 will have, you know, would have enjoyed their September afternoon. How many teams would that be? Four, maybe. Right.
2: Anyway, possibly, as you say, Jack, it's not as amazing a stat as as it sounds, but... I'm easily impressed. Michael? Black
3: heels and stats. What, what next is Jack going to destroy?
2: <laughs> Coventry. That one about Coventry, that used to be my favourite stat until I heard this one. But um, hey, Michael, you're not one for favourite stats, are you? So instead, let me ask you about the remarkable situation beyond Ed's uh, stats inquiry that we now face because National League North and South and the next two divisions below have declared their seasons null and void. But National League is still continuing. So teams can get promoted out of the National League into the Football League, but they can't get demoted because there's nowhere for them
3: to go. But it means all Michael's Kingstonian uh, content this season is doesn't mean anything.
5: Yeah, that is true. Well, I mean, what what I think is vaguely interesting without wanting to bore you too much about the Isthmian League is that um, whereas last season it was announced that the season had been expunged, which was a word that I had to Google to check I knew what it meant So last struck year. out
2: of the books?
5: Yeah. This year, they announced yesterday it's merely been curtailed, which I think implies something different and I think mm. yeah. leaves open the possibility that they will continue this season uh, in... August. I would say the "curtailed"
2: means that an end has, has been arrived at, but it's not the you know the natural end that it would have had. Much like, say, Ligue 1 last season, that they decided the eventual positions based on the two thirds of the season they'd actually played, as opposed to wiping the the records. Uh, yeah, but, I mean,
5: they're not, but they're not going to decide the table after ten games. It's a shame, um, isn't it? So, my, so my point is that I think it leaves open the possibility that they will play essentially they will continue this season in August or September. What do you think? Um, I don't think it's impossible. I mean, I just think cancelling two seasons' worth of results is massively undesirable. And I think that it's not inconceivable that we might have some kind of winter shutdown. the coming winter. It may be just for a month or something. I, I don't think that's inconceivable. And therefore, if you start from a situation where teams have got eight or ten games on the board, um, then you kind of guard against massive fixture backlog next season. So I guess it's about the finances and whether clubs would want to forego maybe five games, home revenue, home matches revenue from those games next year. Mm. But I think actually restarting this season again in a sporting sense might be the best approach.
2: That all sounds very wise. Uh, One other thing before we finish up today, and that's just to give a quick shout out to the new Pele documentary. I mentioned the great man, Jorge, earlier on in the show when comparing uh, Giroud's overhead kick to his but if you're a fan of the man or even if he's just a name that you hear a lot and then not entirely sure why and whether he's really all that etc it's definitely worth uh, checking this 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 uh, film out just come out on Netflix this week built around footage of him and his prime and uh, a very uh, frank interview with the great man Jack you've seen it what did you think?
4: I really enjoyed it. I thought it was a, um, I suppose a career like Pele's. My first thought was it, it's kind of deserving of something big. You know, I think there will be people who look at, who look at what Pele achieved, and will think, okay, well, why hasn't Pele got a a version of the Last Dance, something like that, a twelve episode epic? Um, which I suppose is is a separate question. But I thought this was very good in its conciseness. I thought it was quite perceptive in the way it it tied Pelé's career into the broader tides of Brazilian culture and history, which I I think if, you know, if you know about Pelé's story, it didn't necessarily tell you anything new, but I think a lot of people don't know that background, which is to say that his career kind of coincided with, with two broad sweeping movements. One of which was uh, a real excitement about Brazil's coming out on the world stage um, after uh, after the difficulties of their early years, it's a very young country, Brazil, and particularly you know if, we, if we're talking about football, the 1950 World Cup, which ended in in tragedy, losing the final game against Uruguay. I mean that was that was such a a dent to the national psyche that Nelson Rodrigues, who is like the great Brazilian playwright, called it our Hiroshima. Like that's the that's the kind of the gravity which with which it touched Brazil's kind of self confidence, I suppose. And then you have Pelé who kind of coinciding with with uh, prosperous years in Brazil, Brazil kind of announcing itself on the world stage. He um, facilitates that in football, you know, obviously not the only one to do so in the, in the 1958 and 62 teams, but he's very much the symbol of the team. And then obviously Brazil is kind of uh, dragged into this darker period under dictatorship. And um, that's the backdrop to 1970 when really Pelé is is in his second act. He didn't want to play in another World Cup. Um, he kind of felt that uh, he'd been, he'd been sidelined. He felt the pressure was too much and there was a great pressure on him from the military regime uh, that the film touches upon for him to play that. And yeah, that, that 1971 is weird because. Obviously, we see it in this kind of gorgeous technicolor context. Uh, those images are very, um, you know, they're in, indelible images in the mind of every football fan. But there was this darker backdrop of fear that it would be used by the uh, regime in Brazil to to kind of quell uh, dissent, I suppose. Um, and Pelé has been very, very reluctant to talk about that over the years, pr- probably understandably so. And yeah, it's kind of left up to the viewer to decide how much that impacts his standing. I think I think he's due a bit of sympathy because as he says in the film like, you know, it's a dictatorship. It, you know, it's all very well kind of having a moan, but what was he expected to do? But still there are some in the film one of his former teammates says he was kind of a a submissive figure and he and he ought to have done more. Hmm. So all of these issues are, are kind of uh, are addressed in in a fairly brisk manner because it's an hour and a half or two hour film rather than a series but it, it gets a lot in there and i think to people who see him as this establishment figure in a suit moaning about his uh, legacy i think it will be very refreshing
2: yeah. I mean, it was fantastic to see him in action as as a young guy and see all those. There's some great clips as well. Kenneth Walsenholm makes an appearance, a young Frank Boff, all sorts of things like that. But I mean, mainly, of course, Brazil on on the field and that. But also him speaking now, I was really taken aback at how I mean, it's disarming how straight and how honest and how grounded he remains. But he doesn't duck any of the questions and he's... I thought it was a great film and really very moving. At one point in particular, disappointing they didn't go with the Brazil Carnival Sex Pele, which would have been my title for <laughs> the film, and I think would have probably maybe drummed up a little bit more audience. But probably that's copyrighted by the author of that phrase. Anyway, yeah, richly or warmly recommend that one to you if you if you've not got enough football to to to, to look at in the days to come.
5: I mean. There's always this chat about whether or not he scored 1,000 goals, but I've got a theory that he actually didn't score any goals because whenever you see a highlight of Pele, mm. there's the one where he rounds the goalkeeper and he misses, there's the one where he shoots from the halfway line and he misses, and there's the one where he heads at Gordon Banks and he gets saved. Right. So you, you never actually see Pele scoring a goal. which there's is the one
2: in the Second World War against the Germans which certainly found the net. I must be honest, I've never seen that. Escaped victory, Michael. Really? No, I. I no. My, right. Michael.
4: Michael is very much in the Michael Owen school of of uh, has probably count the number of films he's seen on on two fingers.
2: All right. Well, you want, you might want to add a third finger if you excuse the uh, expression to for, for this one, Michael, because um, it's it's good. It is good. And you'll see him scoring actual goals in it. A lot of it does seem to be, you know, to the modern eye, whether this is film speed or whatever, a lot of it does seem
3: to be walking football. That That is the problem, isn't it?
2: But but when you get onto the Technicolor stuff in 70, it does really start mm. to, to shift. There's a point in a game in which it's time to roll up your sleeves and get on with stuff. And he visibly does. Um, but But yeah. And heavier balls as well. So, you know, a lot of things should be factored in there. Was that because the Viagra? Or? <laughs> <laughs> uh, dearie me, some respect, please. So anyway, there you go. That's something to be watching in and around all the exciting football on the way. Many thanks to Michael, to Duncan and to Jack for being with us today and you, listener. Uh, we'll have another totally for you on Monday morning. So uh, do hope you enjoy your weekend. And from all of us here, it's Goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally
1: Football Show, part of The Athletic Podcast Network. Keep up to date with everything totally at thetotallyfootballshow.com and follow us at The Totally Show on Twitter and Insta. Check out all of The Athletic's football podcasts on Apple, Spotify and all the usual places or listen ad-free on The Athletic app. The Totally Football Show is a Muddy Knees Media production and sponsored by Paddy Power.
4: The Athletic.